Uh, but that's cool. Hey, we're launching a new series. Uh, series is Our Story. Our Story. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be celebrating the incredible things that have taken place uh, across the last 30 years in our journey since Pastor Bruce and Helen established the church in, here in Auckland. Uh, but before we launch into our series, we've got a quick video. So why don't you turn your attention to the screen? Uh, this is Our Story. Check this out. I remember the moment Jesus changed my life. It was the early hours of a Sunday morning. I was driving to the airport. I worked in a hotel back home in California. It was a moment in worship. We're now driving along the road that takes us to the farm that Helen and I uh, came to when we were first married in 1970. Coming into a barn like this really sort of probably emotionally draws me right back to the beginning of my life. You know, my whole life was really about farming, making money, doing well. But there was just such a hunger and a passion developing in my life for God. Other times where I'd go out at night and just sit on an old stump and have real God encounters. And I remember uh, we had this farm and uh, God was starting to stir and develop a desire to serve him. And there was another farm came on the market. And so Helen and I went and had a look at it and we were driving back and the Holy Spirit said, you can have it, but it's not what I've called you to do. And that was the beginning of my call to um, be a preacher. It was really interesting, the journey was what, you'd, what I'd been passionate about, making money in my sphere farming, now started to dwindle. And this call started to come up. That all began here, and I remember leaving, leaving here uh, with a caravan on the back and going on this adventure to do a one-year internship in Gisborne with a guy by the name of Pastor uh, Howard Arnold. But, you know, again, God called. He's established something here. How awesome is that? Now, who's excited? Uh, it's going to be an incredible journey as we unpack this, uh, the last 30 years and, and the significant moments that have taken place. But I love the fact that one man's decision uh, would impact countless lives. Uh, and so over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring uh, the lives that have been impacted and, and, uh, and finding out just uh, the extent of the impact and uh, the effect of that decision. And so really encourage you, especially next week. Next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating 30 years. So we've got a special service plan. Come out, be a part of that. Uh, you don't want to miss out on it. Uh, but today, today I want to set the scene. Uh, today, I want to provide a framework so we can launch into this series. Uh, you know, today, I, I, my hope is that by the end of this message, every person in this place would know that they have a story, that you'd walk away with a confidence to share that story. You'd see value in the story that you have and, and the impact that it can have on the lives of other people. You know, my prayer is that you'd walk away encouraged, inspired, equipped to share your story and how Jesus has changed your life with the people around you. Now, Romans 10, 13 says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in him if they never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how, will anyone, and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? 
That, that is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Now, I know the struggle when it comes to sharing your faith. A lot of people, you know, they feel like they don't know enough or they don't have the words to say. Uh, they're worried about how it's gonna be received. But my prayer today is that you would have a confidence and a courage to share your story. Everybody loves a good story. One thing I've learned in life, everybody loves a good story, whether it's a, a blog, a post, a newspaper article, a novel, or sitting around a campfire, everybody loves a good story. Now, uh, everyone here who's ever proposed uh, would know that a proposal for marriage isn't quite as simple as it used to be, right? We know back in the day, all you needed to do was, uh, you know, you've got to be sure of the answer. Obviously, to start with, you buy a ring, uh, you look for an appropriate time, and you get down on one knee and you pop the question. But anyone who's proposed recently uh, would know that, that women are looking for more than just a ring, right? They want a story. They want a story to back that up because the, the first question that people are going to ask them is this, how did he propose? How did he propose? Because everybody loves a good story. Right, we all love a good story. And uh, to illustrate, uh, if you imagine a, a traveler who set out on a journey. Now he set out on a journey and as he's journeying down the road, clouds began to form. And he pulled out a, a, a coat from his pack, he put it on. And eventually the clouds became dark uh, and the rain came, quickly followed by wind and hail and as the rain the wind and the hail beat down, the, the traveler pulled that coat tighter and tighter. But with time, the clouds began to break. The sun came through. The traveler unzipped his jacket and as the day began to warm up, he eventually took his jacket off. Now in life, we can bombard people with facts, with evidence, with reason, with arguments. But all that's gonna do, like the, the, the rain, the wind and the hail, that's gonna cause people to pull tighter and tighter, to withdraw. But as we share a story, just like the sun, that, that jacket's gonna come off, people are gonna open up. Power, stories have power. Stories are powerful. Everybody has a story. Everybody loves a good story. Now my story began in 1983 where I was born at National Women's Hospital here in Auckland, right? Uh, I grew up in a, in a loving home, uh, one of three kids with two loving parents. And my story was similar to any other kid who grew up in Auckland in the 80s. Uh, but at the age of 13, my, my parents sat me down and they explained to me uh, that they were gonna separate. Now, uh, as a kid, you know, I generally just, uh, I just accepted what I was told. And so I didn't think too much about it. They explained to me that, that, you know, this doesn't affect the way we feel about you. We love you. We're here for you. We're committed to you. But we're, we've decided that we're not going to live together anymore. Now, as a 13-year-old, you've got to understand, I was, I, was, I was forming my identity, what I thought about myself. And I was at an age where I was, I was trying to become independent. Right? I was trying to find myself. But at the same time, I needed a, a, a home that I could call, a place that I could call home, a place that was safe and secure. And throughout high school, you know, it began to take an effect. Now, I didn't realize this at the time growing up, but through high school, realized that, that my dad, for a long time, had struggled with depression. Uh, he, he, he had medication, but, but his depression sometimes got the better of him. You know, he was present 
physically, but, but often emotionally absent. He was committed to us. He loved us. You know, he sacrificed for us. But, but for a kid who, who needed encouragement, who didn't know that his dad loved him, that he was proud of me, you know, he wasn't able to give what, what I needed. You know, and, and with a family history of depression, I began to struggle myself. You know, I remember through high school having some pretty dark times. I'd surround myself with people, but, but all the time felt alone. You know, like no one knew what was going on inside. So I'd withdraw. Now, throughout high school, I, I remember uh, constantly being inspired by the faith of my mom and my, my two older sisters. And it was my oldest sister in particular who was just an inspiration to me. You know, I wanted something that she had. I didn't know exactly what it was, but at the age of 18, she, she started to drag me to church. You know, it was while at church that I discovered why she was such an inspiration. It was while at church I discovered the, the source of her faith. And in, in, a, in, in one night, I don't remember, I was in a church service at the Mercury Theatre. I don't know who was speaking or what they were speaking about. But what dawned on me was that God was real, that He loved me. Yeah, and in a moment, I had a divine encounter. God revealed Himself to me. Now, from that moment on, my life was transformed. You know, I committed to, to learn about Jesus, you know, to learn from His life and, and committed to become more and more like Him. But it didn't take long before I realized I needed His help. And over the subsequent weeks and months, I realized that I could call on Him. You know, He wasn't a distant God. No, He was a, a present reality here to help me through life. He was committed to me. And with time, this, this hole that was in my heart began to fill as I discovered the Father heart of God. All of a sudden, I knew that someone loved me. I knew that someone was proud of me. My life was radically transformed from that point on. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. Now, I've learned a lesson not to judge a book by its cover. You know, often in life, we can make sweeping assumptions of who people are based on the surface presentation, but we, we don't reach any deeper. We don't take time to learn who people are. Now, uh, my wife and I have been married six years now, and, and uh, I remember when we were dating, uh, I tried to come up with this, this romantic uh, uh, date for us to go on, and so I decided to book some tickets to the Auckland Stardome Observatory, right? Because I thought, nothing's more romantic than stars, right? Right? Well, I quickly realized that that wasn't the case. Uh, but while I was at the Auckland Stardome Observatory, I learned about uh, Omega Centauri, which was discovered in 150 AD by an astronomer by the name of Ptolemy using a, a primitive telescope. Now that area of sky wasn't explored again until 1672 when, when an astronomer by the name of Edmund Halley, uh, who, who discovered Halley's Comet, took a much more sophisticated telescope, pointed it at the celestial body and realized that it wasn't actually just one star was actually a globular cluster of 10 million stars. Now, I am certain that if I were to change the lens with which I look at people, I would see something different. You know, I'm, I, I believe that if I were to look long enough and hard enough at the lives of every person in this room, I would know that everybody has a story. Everybody has 
a story. Now, I love my job. Man, I, I love what I get to do. You know, in my years of, of counseling and working with people, I've learned this one lesson. I've learned this lesson to be true time and time again, is that everybody is normal until you get to know them. Man, who would agree, right? Everybody's normal until you get to know them. And people are fascinating. People are incredible. People are amazing. People impress me. Just when you think you know someone, they surprise you. People are deep. People are rich. People are complicated and mysterious. They have layers and intricacies. My wife and I have been married six years, but not a day has gone by that I haven't discovered something new that I didn't know the day before. Man, people are fascinating. People are amazing. Everybody has a story. Now, I'm preparing for this, this message, right? I was uh, exploring, I was trying to discover, okay, what, what is it that makes a good story? What, what are the elements that go into a great story? There's, there's a lot of things to consider, right? You got the hero, the person who rises up despite circumstance, you know, the person who, who saves the day. You got the villain, the villain who, who conspires against the hero. You got the crisis, that turning point in the story where things go south. You got redemption, the story of a, a life being transformed. You know, all these elements that go in to make a great story, but what's the most critical? What's the most important? What's the one thing that makes a story great? What's the most important thing to consider when telling your story? The audience. The audience. Ah, sorry, someone had a guess, but uh, sorry. The audience. It's the audience. You know, if I were to take a recording of the, the greatest story ever told, the greatest story in history, and to play it in the desert with no one around to hear it, right, it's not going to have any impact. It's not going to inspire us. It's not really going to be a great story. Why? Because the audience isn't present. They say that the greatest authors write with the reader in mind, right? That's the audience that makes up the story. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Preparing for this message was tough, right? It was a struggle. And I know that um, I'm up here from time to time, you see me, but, but this doesn't come naturally, right? There's a lot of work that goes into this. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of time and, and, and sacrifice that goes into this. And my wife would, uh, would uh, um, confirm that actually coming up to this message, there are a lot of doubts going through my head. Ed, you're not, you're not good enough. Ed, you don't know enough. People aren't going to understand you. You don't have anything to tell them, right? All these thoughts were going through my mind. And I reckon a lot of people have similar struggles, right? A lot of people have that similar, similar dialogue going on in their, in their world. But I was challenged. I was confronted by a thought. It was almost like God was rebuking me. I was challenged to, to, to change my mind, to repent on the way I was thinking. This was the thought that I was confronted by, Ed, this message might be about you, but it's not for you, right? Your story might be about you, but it's not for you. Our story might be about us, but it's not for us. See, uh, this series isn't an opportunity for us to pat ourselves on the back and congratulate ourselves on a job well done, right? It's not an opportunity for us to remind ourselves how amazing we are and to encourage ourselves, though we will be encouraged. Right? Our story has a purpose. 
And its purpose is to bring hope to the hopeless, is to answer the questions of people that are looking for an answer. It's for people that are searching. See, your story might be about you, but it's not for you. See, stories carry answers, but before providing an answer, you need to understand what questions people are asking. Now, in in our years of being married, we have had, you know, I'm gonna be honest, we have had arguments from time to time, right? Uh, It's the reality of married life. Arguments do happen. But what I've learned is that the goal of healthy communication, it is an agreement. The goal of healthy communication is first understanding. Because it's only when you understand each other that you, you, you know where to find agreement. It's only when you understand each other that you can move forward in your relationship. The goal of healthy communication is understanding because you need to understand others before expecting to be understood yourself. As a church, we wanna scratch where people are itching. You know, the church has done a, a great job in the past of answering questions that people aren't asking. Right, so it's so important that we understand where people are at. Matthew 7, 9 says this, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? See, without effectively listening to people, what we're doing is, is, is we're operating based on our predetermined theories of who we think people are. Without fully understanding the backstory, we're attempting to fill the gaps with our own assumptions, our own prejudices, and our own biases. So it's so important as a, as a church that we understand the people that we're speaking to. See, our, uh, what we're doing is our communication is effectively giving people snakes and stones. When we don't understand where people are at, we don't understand the challenges that they face. See, now, I love Jesus. I love the example that he set. You know, despite knowing everything, despite being omniscient, despite being God incarnate, he always began every conversation with a question. What is your name? Where have you come from? Why are you thinking these things? Why do you doubt? Why are you afraid? Why are you troubled? Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? What can I do for you? How can I help. Now you need to know where someone's at before you can understand what you can do. You know, why did Jesus, knowing everything, why did he ask the question? Right, he was God incarnate. This is what his disciples said about him. Finally, you're giving it to us straight in plain talk, no more figures of speech. Now we know that you know everything. It all comes together in you. Now, why would Jesus, knowing everything, ask the question? Because he wanted people to know that he cared. He wanted people to know that he was interested. He wanted people to know that, that, that their feelings mattered. Right? There's a story about a, a man in ancient times who, who, who suffered from leprosy. Now, leprosy was a contagious disease which destroyed and broke down bodily tissue. And, and it left people maimed, it left people disfigured and would ultimately destroy them, would ultimately kill them. Because it was contagious, people with leprosy were forced uh, to live in the outskirts. They they weren't able to have any physical contact with with healthy people. They were forced out. Now, a leprous man came to Jesus one day, and he said this, Lord, if you are willing, 
you can make me clean. You can heal me and make me clean. This is what Jesus, this is how he responded. He reached out and he touched the man. He said, I am willing, be healed. Now, it wasn't Jesus' touch that healed this man of leprosy. It was his words. So why would Jesus reach out and touch him? He reached out and touched him because he wasn't just healing him. He was satisfying the deepest desires of his heart. Why? Because Jesus understood. Because Jesus took time to understand where people are at. Man, the backstory matters. So you don't have to be a licensed therapist to care where people have come from. Right? Every one of us, we care. First Thessalonians, it says this, chapter 3, verse 12. May the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow. Man, if there's one thing I'm praying day in and day out, it's this. Do you know the, the, the goal of my life, my prayer is that by the end of my days, by the time I die, I would love people more than what I do today. If there's one thing I wanna be known for, it's the love that I have for people, right? That's the, that's the desire of my heart. But it goes on to say this, and may he as a result, make your hearts grow stronger. Now I've got my, my gym buddy here, Creason, and uh, you know, through exercising with Crease, I've, I've learned some things, right? I've learned that the way muscles grow is through exercise, through exercise. Now your heart is a muscle, Right, your heart is a muscle. Now, your heart yeah, you grows through exercise, but you don't exercise your muscle through resistance. You exercise your muscle through loving people. And as your love for others overflows, your heart grows stronger. See, there's a connection. We grow stronger as we give away. We grow stronger as we love people. Come on, as your love overflows for the people around you. Now, 1 Peter 3.15, it says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. Always be prepared. What's your story? Are you prepared? Are you prepared to give an answer for the reason of your hope? Come on, are you prepared? So there's some things that you need to consider when sharing your story. The first thing you want to consider is the person. Come on, who are you speaking to? Where have they come from? What's their background? What's their understanding? You know, what's their history? Do they have a grid for what you're saying? Do they understand what you're sharing? Do they have a faith? Because people need to be able to see themselves in your story. So the first thing to consider is the person. The second thing to consider is the point. What's the one takeaway? Of all the things that you could say, what's the one thing that you want them to remember? What's the one thing you want them to, to never forget? What's the point of your story? The, the third thing you wanna consider is the proof. You know, what's the proof? What's the evidence? Where's the testimony? Because people don't just want something that's true, they want something that helps. You know, is this helpful? Is this gonna change my life? So the person, the point, the proof, and finally, practice, practice, 
practice. Take every opportunity you can to share your story with your e-group, with your family, around your, your, your work. You know, share your journey of faith. Share what Jesus has done in your life. Take every opportunity to practice your story. How do you get better at sharing your story? Practice, practice, practice. Come on, while it's today, practice. Take every opportunity. Tell people about what Jesus has done in your life. Now, a group of people that I wanna highlight this morning uh, who had a story, a story that influenced the world around them uh, was the church in Thessalonica, right? There's a church that was planted by Paul, the Apostle Paul. And this was a church where God was moving, right? He was doing amazing things. So amazing that people were beginning to, to pay attention, right? It was cap- capturing the attention of the people around them. Their story was spreading throughout the land. It was inspiring people. It was encouraging people. And this is what it says. As Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, he says this, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own People, For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. Get this. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever people go, we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. They speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Well, what what an exciting story, right? Here you see God moving in an incredible way. He's transforming lives. These lives are becoming examples of His goodness, of His mercy, of His power to change lives. And, And it's inspiring a generation, right? It's inspiring people around the nations of the world. And so there's one point that I want to take away from this, this story today is that our story will spread further than we will ever go. Our story will spread further than we will ever go. Do you know, the story of our church here in Auckland is inspiring churches around the world. You know, you may not have ever set foot in London, right? But there's a church in London, actually three churches are now uh, there because of the example that we set. Uh, uh, There's churches around the world that are looking to us, inspired by our faith, inspired by our love for our city and the way we serve it. See, our story is spreading further than we will ever go. Now, many of us know the story of Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks, for those who don't know, she uh, was a black civil rights advocate uh, in the early 1900s. She was born in 1913. Uh, in Montgomery, Alabama, right? She grew up uh, in that city and eventually became a seamstress in a local department store. Now, the Montgomery City Code required that all public transport be segregated. So while operating a bus, 
drivers required, were required to provide equal but separate accommodation for both the white passengers and the black passengers. So this was accomplished with a line uh, that was roughly in the middle of the bus, separating white passengers in the front from the black passengers in the back. So uh, if a white passenger got on the bus, they would pay their fare and go take a seat. But if a black passenger got on the bus, they would pay their fare, go outside of the bus, walk around and enter the bus through a door in the rear. Right, and this is the way things were. Now in 1955, on the way home from her job, and just a, a normal day, every other day, Rosa Parks got on the bus. But as the bus began to fill, the, the section at the front became unavailable. And so the bus driver asked Rosa, along with three other passengers, to get up and give up their seats for four white passengers. Now the three other passengers got up and gave up their seats, but Rosa Parks didn't. She stood her ground and eventually was physically restrained, removed from the bus and arrested by local police. This was Rosa Parks' story, right? On any other day, no different from any other day, she made a decision. Now I'm pretty sure that she didn't anticipate how big this thing would blow up and the impact that her story would have, right? One simple decision. You know, she was tired, her feet were probably sore. She was probably thinking about what she was gonna have for dinner. But one decision inspired a nation. Do you know that very next day, a group of, of black civil rights advocates got together and they decided that they, they were gonna boycott public transport. And so uh, several days later, 40,000, some 40,000 African-American commuters opted to walk to work instead of taking the bus to work, some as far as 20 miles, right? So this lasted a day, weeks, which slowly turned into months. Now across this time, you gotta understand there were, there were buses, fleets of buses that were going unused. You know, public transport companies were being left financially crippled. So months passed, and after 382 days, 382 days, the local council lifted the segregation law and things were changed. Now this story became an example that inspired a movement, right? It changed history, right? It still inspires us today. It was a story that, that rewrote history, the event that, that ripples through history and inspires us today, right? One story of one woman, because why our story has the power to reach further than we will ever go. It'll reach beyond your, your church, your neighborhood, your suburb, your, your country, your city, even your lifetime. Your, your story has the ability to go further than we will ever go. We live in a, a, an unprecedented period in history where conversations are taking place over thousands of kilometers. Man, our example can inspire a generation. So our story will spread further than we will ever go. Second, our story reestablishes what is possible. It reestablishes what is possible. Our story inspires faith. It shows people what can be done. Now there was a man by the name of Roger Bannister. Many of us know this, this man. He was a, a runner, a middle distance runner. And, and uh, in his time, it was believed to be impossible for a person to run one mile in less than four minutes. Right, it was 
physically, physiologically impossible for the human body to generate enough energy to throw itself down a one mile track in less than four minutes. It was an impossibility. It couldn't be done. It was impossible. But Roger Bannister wasn't satisfied with that. And so on one unlikely day, he set out to to defy the impossible, to reestablish what was possible. When the elements were against him, when the weather was, was unlikely, he made a decision that he was gonna defy what was possible. And on that day, at the Ilfi track in Great Britain, he was able to run one mile in three minutes, 59.4 seconds, right? Defying the impossible, reestablishing what is possible. But, but you gotta understand, this is the greatest thing about the story. This is what inspires me most, is that Roger Bannister's record was held for a grand total of 46 days. 46 days, you gotta get your head around that. What was impossible was all of a sudden broken and in 46 days was broken again. Do you know since then thousands of runners have run one mile in less than four minutes. Why? Because one person showed that it was possible. One person's example reestablished what was possible. Man, our story will inspire faith because our story will show people what God can do. The third point I want you to take home is that our story argues on our behalf. It argues on our behalf. Revelation 12, 11, it says that the the enemy was defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. See, our example, it argues on our behalf. Now, you don't need to prove anything. A lot of people feel a pressure uh, to provide a, an intellectual argument for their beliefs, right? You wanna, you wanna, you wanna provide a, a reasonable explanation that a reasonable person would understand. You feel this pressure to provide an intellectual argument, but when we intellectualize the gospel, we squeeze God into our own thinking and our own experience, right? You were never meant to intellectualize the gospel because it's not an intellectual argument, right? It's divine, it's miraculous, it's the power of God. Now there's a difference between knowing the good news and being the good news. Now the moment you accept uh, that Jesus is God and that He died on the cross and rose again, you know the truth, right? You know the truth. From that moment, the moment I came to the revelation that Jesus is real, that He loves me, that He died on the cross and He rose again, I knew the truth. But the moment you invite Him into your life, and you invite Him to change you from the inside out, you go from knowing the truth to being the truth, right? You're an example of faith. Your your story will inspire others. We are the evidence. We are the proof. Every life makes a sound. Every life makes a sound. But there's no louder sound than that of a transformed Life. Come on, what's the sound of your life? What do people see when they look at you? What do they hear when they, when they listen to you? I mean, what's the sound of your life? 1 Thessalonians 2.19, Paul writes, he says, what is my proud reward? And what is my pride and joy as I stand before my Father in heaven? It's you. Yes, you are my pride and joy. 
See, in the story of the Thessalonian church, God speaks a word, right? We know that God speaks and we know it's Him because it's accompanied by power. And this is the kind of power that it puts steel in your convictions. It, it gives you an assurance that what He's saying is true. Why, that's the power that we're talking about. This power gives us an assurance and that assurance brings a hope, right? We know things are gonna be better. We know that there's a plan. We know that someone's in control and that hope brings joy. The kind of joy that, that surpasses experience, the kind of joy that surpasses circumstance. We have a joy that surpasses reason and understanding. With that joy, we become an example. And that example becomes a story that inspires many. Now, people aren't inspired by your perfect life. They're not inspired by the fact that you have good hair. You know, they're not inspired by the fact that your children behave and always do what you say. They're not inspired by your perfect house and the fact that somehow it manages to always smell good. Right, people aren't inspired by the car you drive and the way you keep it clean. People aren't inspired by your perfect life. They're inspired by your unwavering faith. They're inspired by your hope that surpasses circumstance. They're inspired by your joy that has no reason. They're inspired by the peace that you have in the storm. Right, that's what people look to. That's what people are inspired by. That's the story that people are telling. Right, the example of faith that we live. So now wherever people talk about Jesus, they talk about you. You are the message. You are the proof. You are the evidence. See, our story argues on our behalf. You don't need to prove anything because your life shouts His glory. You are the message. I don't need to argue that Jesus heals. All I need to do is tell you how Rary was diagnosed with cancer and was miraculously healed. I didn't need to argue that Jesus provides. All I need to do is tell you about a small group of women in their 50s and 60s who off the back of bake sales and high tea events were able to raise $95,000 to build a school in Burkina Faso. See, I don't need to argue that Jesus answers prayers. All I need to do is point to Hannah and Byron who are able to miraculously conceive despite a doctor's diagnosis. I don't need to argue that Jesus breaks the power of addiction. All I need to do is tell you about Levi, a man who came to church addicted to methamphetamine, but in a moment, his addiction was broken, he was set free and his life was forever changed. I don't need to tell you how Jesus restores relationships. All I need to do is tell you about my dad and how our relationship was healed. We are the message. You are proof that God is real. You are proof that He loves you and He has a plan for every person in this room. We are the message. And finally, our story points people to Jesus. Now, there's a, there's a lot of clever people in the room. There's a lot of amazing people uh, who have done some amazing things. But there is no possible way that we could have achieved this journey on our own. There's no way that we would be where we are if it wasn't for the help of Jesus. There's no way that we'd hear the stories of transformed lives if it wasn't for His help, if it wasn't for Him. It's because our story points people to Jesus. 
Come on, our story highlights His glory. It highlights His, fa- uh, his favor. It highlights His love, His patience, the fact that He'll never leave us or forsake us. Our story points people to Jesus. My wife and I, uh, two years ago, were able to buy our first home. Now, you've got to understand, we're, we're wise with our money. We, we do our best to make responsible decisions. But with our income and the fact that we had no savings, it is an impossible miracle that we're now in our first home. There's no possible way that I could have schemed my way into this house. It's an impossibility. Our lives point people to Jesus. Our story points people to Jesus. In a moment, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, I wanna pray for every person in this place. I, I believe that God wants to inspire confidence and courage in people. I believe, man, we're gonna see God move in an incredible way. As you share your story, lives are gonna be impacted. People are gonna be inspired. People are gonna find hope in God. I'm gonna pray for just a new courage and a confidence for people to share their faith. But before I do, I wanna speak to every person in this place who doesn't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. It's, it's not by chance you're here today. I want you to know that. And the reason for that is because God is real. He loves you and He has a plan. You know, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that if anyone would believe in Him, they would not perish, but they'd have everlasting life. God gave His Son to die on the cross to pay the price for all the wrong things that you and I have done. Now, the the cross is both hideous and glorious, simultaneously ugly and beautiful. It was as hideous as human sin and as glorious as divine love. It's a collision of sin and grace. But we've got to understand it's not a contest of equals because in the end, love won. Love defeated death. See, the, the crucifixion wasn't the ultimate attempt to change God's mind about us, right? Because His mind was already made up. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's loved you from the moment you entered this world. Now, the cross is the ultimate attempt for you to change your mind about Him, for you to see how much He loves you, to see how much He cares. See, the death of Jesus was a sacrifice, but it wasn't a sacrifice to appease an angry God. No, it was a sacrifice to end all sacrificing. Right? He gave His life. Now, the crucifixion, crucifixion isn't what God inflicts upon Jesus in order to forgive. No, the crucifixion is what God endures in Jesus as He forgives. On that day, In Golgotha, as Jesus hung on the cross, where was God? He wasn't in the the, the Roman soldiers who were torturing Jesus. He wasn't in the crowd who abused Him and jeered and, and threw their insults. No, He was in Jesus. He was hanging on the cross, dying for us. See, the cross isn't about payment. The cross was about forgiveness. At the cross, we discover that God would rather die in the name of love than kill in the name of freedom. Our our God's name isn't William Wallace. 
His name is Jesus. So in this moment, while every person has their eyes closed and head bowed, just speaking to every person in this place who doesn't know Jesus, if you're here this morning and you'd like to invite Him into your life, you'd like to go on this, this journey of faith, the, the same decision that I made some 14 years ago, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray for every person in this room, but I wanna know who I'm praying for. So if that's you, if you'd like to invite Jesus into your life, I just ask that you quickly lift your hand while everybody has their eyes closed. I'll acknowledge it. You can put your hand down, then we'll pray together. Come on, how many people are ready to respond to Jesus this morning? How many people wanna invite Him into your world? Come on, to be your Lord, to be your Saviour. Just looking around the balcony. On the floor. Come on, how many people are here to, who want to respond to Jesus this morning? There's a hand in the balcony. I see your hand, that's awesome. Come on, how many others are ready to respond to Jesus? Come on, it's not by chance that you're here. You're here because He's real, He loves you. There's a hand on the, bo- the bottom of the floor. That's awesome. Come on, how many others are ready to respond? I don't wanna stretch this out too long, but I just wanna make sure everyone has an opportunity. There's another hand. I see your hand down the front there. That's awesome. Man, it's the best decision. I see three hands on the front. Awesome. Hey, what we're gonna do now is we're gonna pray a prayer together. This is simply a prayer inviting Jesus into your life. And so I'll pray a line. Uh, You can pray after me. So here we go. Dear God, I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross, to pay the price for all the wrong things I've done. I know that you love me. I know that you're real. I know that you have a plan for me. Today, I invite you into my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior. I choose to follow you today and every day for the rest of my life in the name of Jesus. Come on, everyone said, amen, amen. Can we give Jesus a clap of praise this morning? That's awesome. Well, if I could ask everyone to stand to your feet. I'd love to pray for every person here this morning because I believe God's here. And I believe He's gonna fill every heart with confidence, with courage, with boldness. That you're gonna see value in what you carry and the story that you have. You're gonna recognize and give thanks for the things that He's done in your life. And so while the band leads us, I just invite every person in this place to lift your hands. If you're comfortable, do so. Lord, I pray for every person in this room this morning. Lord, I just thank you that you're present, that you're here. For every person that struggled with with the boldness and confidence to share their story. Lord, I pray you'd fill their hearts with courage. Holy Spirit, I pray that you begin to give them words that would articulate what you've done in their world. Lord, I thank you for our story. I know that our story has the ability to inspire. Our story has the ability to to reach beyond where we'll ever go, Lord. Our story will reestablish what's possible. Our story will point people to You, Lord. I pray that You would be made famous in this city, in this nation, Lord. I pray that Your Name would be glorified. I pray that people would see the reason for our hope, and that's in You. 
Come on, can we lift our voice? Can we praise Him this morning?